preaching text is from Mark 10:17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear fault witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at his words. But Jesus said to him, them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there was no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields, and with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first the Gospel of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven.
Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I know it's an unusual way to start a sermon, uh, but uh, I wanted to start that way because I think that line that Jesus gives to that rich man, that command that he gives, we've heard it enough, with, the f- story is familiar enough that when we hear the, the story of the rich man, or as uh, Luke calls him, the rich young ruler, we kind of know what's coming and we lose the shock, but it's a shocking statement. And I wanted to give us an opportunity to hear it and maybe force you to sit with a reaction to it, uh, or maybe just a reaction to me sitting down at the beginning of the sermon. I don't know. Uh, but wh- what kind of reactions did you have when you hear that passage? What kind of reactions, what sort of uh, emotions uh, do you feel as you had to think about what Jesus said to that rich man there? Any reactions? Ah, maybe it doesn't mean me. Good. What else? Sue? So you know, it felt like you're, you're losing the chance to pass things on to your children if you sell everything and give it away now. You don't have heirlooms. Yeah, good. What else? Other reactions? Ah. Could I do this? And the answer was no. I don't think I could. Yeah. Linda had the same thought. Yeah, Lois. Yeah. Are you talking to me, Jesus? Yeah. Is this you talking to me now? Good. Yeah. 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 Any other reactions? Dave. Who do you think is responsible? That was your reaction. Who do you think is responsible? Did any of you try to barter with God in that moment? Maybe you don't mean all, but like half, right? Or my 10%, right? Give my 10% to the church. Surely that's what Jesus means here when he says this. Can we just keep the basics? Yeah. Can we just keep the basics? Let's stick to that commands part you talked about. That seems a little easier, doesn't it? Haven't you already given me enough pain? Oh, yeah. Does that mean giving up my Mustang? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a shocking statement, isn't it? And you know what strikes me in this text, or one of the things that strikes, there's lots of things, but one of the things that strikes me in this text is that the rich man doesn't barter at all with Jesus. He doesn't try to negotiate. He doesn't say, are you sure? Did you misspeak? Did you mean to say half? He seems to take Jesus at face value. So, I mean, let's go back to the beginning of that passage. So, Jesus is in um, probably the area around maybe where he was baptized, where John was doing baptism. He's in that region somewhere. We're not sure exactly where. It doesn't tell us. Uh, but he's on his way, uh, leaving on the journey. He's walking out, and as he's hitting the road, this man runs up. He's eager to catch him uh, at, before he goes. He has one more question for him, and he asks that question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus first kind of takes issue with that word good, which seems like a technicality, but okay. And then uh, he starts to answer, well, what do the commandments tell you? And he lists a bunch, uh, a bunch of the commandments, Jesus does. And he lists what we call the second table of the Ten Commandments. So the first table has to do with our relationship with God, which uh, especially you shall have no other gods before me, uh, not using the Lord's name in vain because we're supposed to use it for prayer. We're supposed to use it to call on God in our time of need. Uh, honor the Sabbath, which is about resting and letting God act, especially by hearing God's word. 
But he lists the second table, which in some ways is the easier uh, set maybe to obey. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Uh, do not uh, bear false witness. Do not, uh, um, what does he say, defraud, which is uh, a way, another way of talking about coveting. Uh, honor your father and mother. And the rich man's response is, well, I've kept all these from my youth. And it's hard to know in the writing what the tone of the rich man is. Is he saying this in sort of a self-assured way? Well, I have kept all these from my youth. And he's looking for a pat on the back from Jesus. Uh, Or is it the other way where he has been keeping all these, but he still feels like there's something missing, like there's uh, some righteousness that he lacks. And he's looking for maybe one extra piece that, that he hasn't gotten yet. And he's saying, well, I've kept all these from my youth. Either way, Jesus responds by looking at him. And having looked at him, Jesus loves him. And then out of love, Jesus gives that command. One thing you lack. And I can almost see the rich man's ears perking up. Oh, just one thing. I'm almost there. Sell everything you own. Sell what you own and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And then, then you can come and follow me. And the rich man doesn't barter. He takes it at uh, Jesus at his word, and he goes away grieving, we read, because he had many possessions. How hard it is, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is a stinging text, I think, for us in this country, because especially on a global scale, we are the wealthy of the world. Uh, Even if you're not particularly wealthy by American standards, uh, you are wealthy by what most of uh, people live in in their daily life. Uh, In fact, probably, I would guess, um, by the standards of Jesus' time, speaking to this rich man, all of us would count as quite wealthy by those standards uh, uh, standards at that time. Um, And so I think we know something about the pull that wealth has. We know something about the pull of possessions, of heirlooms, of cars, of houses, uh, of land. If you've ever moved, um, and I have moved lots of times in my, uh, in Chris and I's 10 years of marriage, we've moved, I don't know, six or seven times. Uh, I was just helping a friend move this weekend, actually, out of their house in Richland. Uh, There's a moment in, I think, almost every move I've been a part of, whether it's been mine or someone else's, where you get all of the stuff out of the house and you're looking at this just enormous pile of stuff that you have. And then you look over at this truck or this trailer, whatever you've got, and you're starting to wonder how you're going to get any of that in there or how many trips it's going to take or or that sort of thing. Yeah, some of you have maybe experienced this recently. I see some, yeah. And if you're anything like me, this might be just me, but if you're anything like me, it's about that time that I start daydreaming about a nice cleansing fire that's just going (laughs) to send it all up. Maybe insurance will cover it. Yeah. Don't tell that part to my insurance company. Uh, but, uh, uh, there's, but at that moment when you're, you're literally carrying stuff, right? You're literally holding your stuff. You feel the weight of it. I mean, you feel physically, but you also just sort of feel the burden of wealth. There's an attachment, there's a, there's a bondage, there's a slavery to the stuff that you have. Probably many of us uh, know people, maybe we are the people uh, in our families or our friends who uh, attachment to stuff becomes so overwhelming it's hard to live in the house anymore. Uh, maybe you've experienced that in your own homes or you know people who have lived that, uh, who have experienced that. Um, but I think even all of us, uh, when you move, you realize just how much stuff you have. There's an attachment to it. 
how hard it will be, Jesus says, for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier, Jesus says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. Now, there's a, a story, an old, not sure how old story uh, exactly, um, that you've maybe heard about this camel eye of the needle thing. There's, first off, it's a myth. There's no evidence for it. There's no reason to think it's historically true or not, but preachers love it, and it has a great, you know, you, you can see why it has this attraction for, for preachers. Um, but there's this, there's this old myth that there's uh, this gate in Jerusalem or maybe a passage on the road to Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. Have you heard this? Uh, so, well, I'll tell you this, and then I'll t- it's, but it's not true, but I'll tell you it anyway. Uh, and and the and and the 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 way the lesson goes is is this really narrow passageway, and so camels get loaded up with baggage right when they're coming into the city, but they can't fit through it with all the baggage on, so they have to take the the baggage off. Or in some versions I hear it, they have to take the baggage off, and then they have to go through on their knees, which is a really nice uh, you know image for preachers trying to get you all uh, into the kingdom of God. And uh, and and so the moral of the story then becomes what Jesus means when he says this is it's really hard, but you know you just have to lay your stuff down. And, and pray uh, your way into the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus says, and that's not what Jesus means. And I think that story exists uh, just to kind of soften the blow here because the disciples get it, right? What do the disciples say? Well, then who can be saved? If it's easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, who can be saved? Camels don't go through eyes of needles easily. And if they do, it's not pleasant for them, right? And yet Jesus says, well, with humans, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, I think this rich man's problem isn't so much that he's rich. I don't even think it's so much that he has too many possessions, more than his fair share. I'm not even sure that it's that he's too attached to his possessions, although certainly that's part of it. But I think there's a deeper problem And I think it's revealed right there at the beginning with his question. And I think the problem is that he thinks the kingdom of God is something he needs to attain. It's something he does something to inherit. You hear that in his question, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think Jesus' little nitpicking about the word good is actually a a response to this. Because you could rephrase the man's question as this. What must I do to be good? right? To be good enough to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? Nobody's good, especially not you, right? Only God alone. The kingdom of heaven comes to us. We're not able to go to it. We're no more able to enter the kingdom of God under our own power than a camel is able to push itself through the eye of a needle, But the promise that we have, the promise that we've received in our baptism, the promise that we receive in scripture, in in communion, in preaching, is that with God all things are possible, and that God finds a way to pull us through that needle, hooves and all. It will not be pleasant. There will be loss. 
we will have to leave behind our possessions. We will have to leave behind everything we have. Actually, it's even worse than this. Uh, Notice at the end when Peter's uh, speaking up, you know, we've left everything. Uh, Jesus says, "Uh, truly, I tell you, there's no one who is left. And what does he name? House, which, you know, and all the stuff that goes in a house. He he names field, so livelihood, the the way you get your your, uh, money, business interests you could think of, or retirement accounts. What else does he list? Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children. Yeah. That's a hard thing. That is not something you are able to choose for yourself. But it is something that will happen. We have this promise now, but only as a down payment right? We still live in a world where we are enslaved to stuff, where we're in relationships that aren't always uh, life-giving. But the reality is, is that God will bring us to that kingdom, that what is impossible for us, and it is impossible for us, is possible, and in fact, promised by God. And when we receive that promise here and now, even just as the down payment, as we trust in that promise, as God inspires faith in us and makes us cling to it, it changes our relationship with stuff. It changes our relationship with wealth. It changes our relationship with our livelihood because it's no longer a tool for us to further ourselves, even our own righteousness by giving it to the right causes, but it's rather God's tool to provide for us, to care for us, to give to us and through us to provide for our neighbors and our families and our our friends and our enemies, to provide for a world in need. Rather than being owners or consumers, we get to be stewards, managers of the wealth that God has entrusted to us. We don't keep it. We'll have to give it back at some point, but we hold on to it for a while. So brothers and sisters, fellow stewards in Christ. Use what you have for God's kingdom. God's given it to you to provide for you. This is God's gift to you, but also to provide for so many others through you. This is the privilege we have being called into the kingdom of God. We camels who cannot get there on our own, but God finds a way. Amen.